Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are in the middle of our Lenten season, our Lenten series. And we have been talking these last few weeks during the season about sin and the different ways that we talk about sin. We've talked about sin as uh, missing the mark. We talked about sin as breaking God's law and what those mean and how that, that speaks to what Jesus did on the cross and what that means for redemption. So where are we taking things today, Steve? Today, we're going to be looking at what's probably another familiar way of talking about sin for some people, but maybe we've never unpacked and go, oh yeah, that is kind of a different metaphor, a different wheelhouse. And it's it's sin as broken relationship. Um, it seems to me like this is uh, probably a pretty popular way of talking about sin in a lot of modern American Christianity. Um, we tend to like not talk so much about the idea of sin is missing the mark because uh, there, like we talked about last time, that can sound like a relentless, you're never good enough. Um, but the idea of relationship being broken, that's probably something some people like have as their mental default, but maybe we haven't thought out all, all the, the nuances of where do we get that language from? What, what does it mean that sin is about broken relationship? Who, whose relationships? Um, where does it come from as a, as a scriptural and Christian traditional way of thinking about it? And like we've done before, we'll maybe need to talk about what are the strengths of this way of talking about uh, sin, and if this is all we had, what would be some of the weaknesses of uh, only having this metaphor or this way of thinking about sin? Maybe are there some places that could help give us some biblical grounding for where we see sin described as like broken relationship? I was going to say, I mean, that started at the beginning, you know, in Genesis, um, and in chapters three and four, when we start talking about the fall. And that relationship between God and Adam and Eve. And then later in chapter four, between Cain and Abel. Um, that's where we first kind of see sin mentioned in scripture. And it's clear that there's a division after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're kicked out of the garden. There's, there's this brokenness in the relationship that they have with God now. So um, you're, you're noting there that uh, the way the, the, Genesis 2 story tells the story. God makes the human beings, and after great lengths of finding the right relational partner, uh, there we've got uh, two humans instead of God saying, here, try out a tiger as your friend, try out a rabbit, like all the animals, none of those are acceptable. And the right relationship is sort of the culmination of the Genesis 2 story. Oh, more humans, that's what we need. And there's good relationship at that point between humans and God. Uh, there's even this delightful image of God every day would go for a walk through the garden in the cool of the evening. And there the humans would come and talk with him. Um, and uh at the point where they eat the one fruit that they're not supposed to eat, they've now broken relationship uh, with God. But there's other relationships that get fractured in this exchange, right? Indeed. I mean, the relationship with each other, you know, the relationship between husband and wife um, in Genesis 4, the relationship between their two sons is broken when Cain kills Abel. I mean, that's a huge, huge break in relationship. I think one way that you could read the entire Bible is to view it through the lens of this relationship breaking yeah. and being damaged. 
And then the rest of the Bible is the story of God and humanity trying to repair this broken relationship. And I think at times we've gotten closer to God and then something happens where that relationship is once more fractured and we kind of drift apart and then you know something else happens and that relationship is repaired a little bit and then it's broken and so it's a kind of a continuation of this relationship between god and humanity trying to repair itself after the fall yeah yeah, I, I'm so appreciative to hear both of you describe that, that one that in a sense, the story of the whole Bible then is the story of that relationship and the ways that it keeps getting strained or fractured or broken and then healing happens and then we do it all over again. And that it kind of like, I, I almost get this picture reading uh, this, the, the language of the end of Genesis 3 of like, when you get um, a rock that hits your windshield and at first it's that tiny little crack, you know, and then like, if you don't attend to it, how it like radiates out and splinters out and how the language you get when God addresses the human beings, it's not just you've upset me, but now you look, you've, you've destroyed trust between each other. And yeah, cause there's, there's Adam throwing his wife under the bus. So the woman you gave me did it. And there is, you know, Eve going, well, it wasn't me. It was the talking snake, you know, um, that everybody's pointing the finger instead of anybody being responsible and going, yep, I played a role in making this bad thing happen. How can we fix it? Um, but also even our relationship with creation is frustrated as well. Um, and we end up with this sort of human beings have to dominate creation rather than we're made to be caretakers you can glory and appreciate but also who see ourselves as a part of creation and that even gets ruined and maybe we could even say there's an alienation each of us has from ourselves uh in in sin as well that it's it's i mean um instead of owning yep here's what i did i need to own them take responsibility there's as well it's not my fault and finding somebody else we can pin blame on that breaks relationship with others but also it 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 fractures something in me it's like to borrow the harry potter imagery it's like we're all walking horse cruxes who have these divided souls in ourselves and we're broken in different pieces um uh so that the relationship is broken not just with other people but e- even within ourselves and then you noted erica that it, it takes just one generation but be- mm-hmm. between adam and eve then to their kids can and Abel, that we're not just talking about eating fruit you're not supposed to eat or blaming each other for uh fruit napping but murder and that's the first place that even the word the hebrew word for sin is used at all it's it's before cain kills his brother god has this sort of ominous foreshadowing conversation you better master your anger there buddy or sin is waiting at the door and is you know wants to take hold of you um so when when cain kills his brother that's literally destroying the relationship and and in some sense that becomes a model for how a lot of the rest of the scriptures think about how sin works that it's when when our relationships with each other are broken in one way or another are there other examples or other places either in in uh the biblical story or saga or or christian tradition and theology that it would be helpful to highlight about what 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 this image or metaphor for sin is all about so another area where i see the sin as a broken relationship between god and and us between ourselves is um, the story of David and Bathsheba and his confession in Psalm 51. Uh, And especially with that particular Psalm, um, I was just going over it for Ash Wednesday. And um, it's really focuses it on David's broken relationship with God. 
you know, he realizes, yes, he's broken his relationship with Bathsheba, obviously with Uriah, you know, with, with individual humans, but that whole Psalm really is focused in on his relationship with God and saying that, yes, I hurt these people, but more importantly, God, I hurt you and I hurt you alone. And so, so now my relationship is broken with you and I'm asking you, I'm begging you for forgiveness to restore that relationship because I want to, to be with you. I, I want to be in that relationship with you. You have blessed me so far in my ministry, you know, in, in my kingdom and everything. So he wants that relationship restored. Yeah, Cause that, that kind of reminds me of, I don't know, the idea or the, the teaching that God is in all of our relationships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like, if I break my relationship with you, Erica, like if I somehow sin against you, because God is in that relationship connecting us by me sinning against you, I'm also sinning against God that, that by breaking that relationship with you, mm-hmm. I'm damaging the relationship that I also have with God. Cause God is in that relationship. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of where you're pointing at with the David and Bathsheba in Psalm 51? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a fascinating way of talking about like from the, the, maybe the, the negative underside of what Jesus talks about when he's asked about the great commandments, you know, and when, when somebody approaches him in the gospels and they're asking a rules-based question, which of all the commandments, Jesus of all the 613, what's the most important. And Jesus not only refuses to give a single answer, but gives a a two-part answer as if they are really two sides of the same coin, but they are not exactly act-based rules. They are their relationship commandment. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a, like a one-time discreet act, you know, whereas murder is, you can check. Is there a dead body? Yep, a murder happened. Yep, is my bag of gold missing? Yep, there was a theft. But love is relational and is ongoing. And there's never a point when you can say, I'm done, I've checked that off the list. And Jesus ties love of God with love of neighbor so tightly there um, in a way that like ancient, you know, first century rabbis probably would have said, sure, both of those are central ideas, but those two separate commands don't come side by side in the Torah. You have to go, oh, love your neighbor. That comes from one place in Leviticus and love God with all your heart, mind and strength is Deuteronomy in another place in the Torah. And Jesus binds them together like one, exactly as you say, Sarah, that there's no such thing as a relationship with one that doesn't include the other. And, and maybe we could say any places our, our uh, religion or faith goes wrong are places where we try and separate one from the other, where we try and do, as long as I've got my relationship with me and God, okay, it doesn't matter how I treat my neighbor or, mm-hmm. hey, keep, keep your God stuff out of my relationship with other people. These are all separate, you know, boxes or compartments of my life. And you're, you're calling attention, both of you, to how the, the scriptures see all those relationships as interconnected so that in Psalm 51, when one is broken, all of it's affected. And that's one of those, like, you know, we're, we're always talking about the edges where things can go wrong. When we ju- if we just have this idea of sin, then I think we can take it like, well, I hurt so-and-so or I hurt God, but we don't, we can lose that connection that when we hurt one or the other we're we're hurting you know both and you need to repair it with both yeah right like Mm -hmm. i feel like it would be pretty easy to have the cop out of oh i hurt so and so and also therefore god i better apologize to god and seek forgiveness from god without actually doing the difficult work of going back to so and so Mm -hmm. 
right? Because like it, it feels pretty easy to seek forgiveness from God in some ways because God isn't face to face with you and you're not seeing the visible yeah. hurt on God's face. You know, God's not verbally speaking back to you about the pain, whereas the other person, like the other human will, but you have to do both work the work of the asking forgiveness and reconciliation with the other person and with God. Mm -hmm. I think that is such a really important point and, and that you're right. It is so easy to think we have made things right with the humans. If we've prayed to God, a prayer asking for forgiveness and, and, and use that as a cop out. That is such a helpful, helpful example of ways that this model of sin, if this is all we had, we could abuse or, or it could go awry. I, I want to toss out another one and get your thoughts too. It seems to me like, again, a, a sloppy understanding of sin as broken relationship. If that's all we had, it would be easy then to cop out and say, if I can't see who gets hurt by an action, it must be okay because it doesn't break relationship with somebody I can see. And you know, we can say, okay, if sin is broken relationship, I have a relationship with my family, my friends and things like that. So things I do to them or about them or words I say to them are, could be wrong or sinful or against God's will, but things that, that I, uh, that affect people I don't have a relationship with or one with a face-to-face personal relationship that, that can't be sin or that's outside of, of bounds. And it seems like there's lots of ways that could be terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's so, definitely a huge one. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, The Good Place. Uh, so in The mm -hmm. Good Place, mm -hmm. uh, the character Chidi is, is uh, sent to the bad place when he dies, even though he lived a fairly moral, ethical life. Like he taught ethics in college, in college. So, you know, it's one of those things that like a lot of people are like, well, why are you here in the bad place? And it turns out it's because he did things like eat blueberry muffins even though he knew that those blueberries were picked by children's slaves. And, you know, it, it's one of those things of like, oh, but they were just so good. And it's like, oh, yes, because like, yeah, you don't ever see those children who mm. have bad living and working conditions because they're children. They shouldn't be working, especially for pennies. Um but like, that's still a relationship that's being damaged. We might even though even... you can't be, even though like that relationship isn't like forefront of your mm -hmm. mind every day, but there's still humans living on this planet with us. And in that way, you do have a relationship with them, even if it's not a strong relationship. I wonder if we could even say that, uh, the way we care for say the, the natural world that we're a part, not just for nature's sake, but for future generations of humans who don't exist yet, who haven't been born yet. And it would be easy to go, well, I don't have a relationship with them. I can't be morally obligated to care about future people, much less animals or water or trees or things like that. Mm -hmm. That if, if all we had is this narrow sense of sin is broken relationship, it's hard to talk about. Yes, we have an obligation to people who come after us not to wreck things and then dump things on other people. And just as you say, Sarah, people who are far away that I might not know personally, we some something in us says, no, we do have a connection to them. We do have a responsibility to them, even if I don't know their names. This kind of reminds me, uh, and this is a half-formed thought, but this reminds me of that famous line I've heard attributed to Cornell West, that uh, justice is love in public. 
Uh, and that idea that instead of treating like relationship and love is one area of our life and justice is this other category, like that love for a neighbor in a public sphere means justice, means, means care about other people, even if I don't know their names, even if I don't know their stories, and that I do have an obligation to care for other people and that that's relational. It's not just reducible to, did you break this rule? Did you keep this law? So Steve, you mentioned um, in what you're just saying, animals and like plants, the environment thing. I think that's another area where like, if we're just looking at sin as broken relationships, we think about relationships with other humans. We think about relationship with God. We don't necessarily think about our relationship with the earth. Yeah. And that while that might not be the loudest theme or voice in all of scripture, it's absolutely there. And I think like even going, if we're going to reach back to Genesis at the end of the story of Noah and the flood, God makes a covenant, not just with Noah, but with all creation. And it's the same language. It's the same talk of covenant. So God seems to assume there is relationship between God and human beings, but also God and creation. And it's one of those delightful places where the the storyteller goes with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And like this, it's, it's very specific that like we're talking about wildlife. This isn't just a, another way of talking about humans, but yep. God has made covenant. God sees relationship with created beings that aren't human too, which kind of is humbling for us who like to imagine we're the only thing that matters. Classic golden child, child. <laughs> right, right, right. This reminds me a little bit, not to get too, too far afield, but there's this great uh, one-off joke in um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series uh, where Douglas Adams talks about how humans think that they're the most intelligent species on earth and we're actually only third. And one of them is mice and that's a side plot. But then he says, and, and also dolphins were second most intelligent. Humans used to think they were most intelligent because they'd invented things like digital watches and wars in New York City. And dolphins thought they were more intelligent because of the exact same reasons that they had not invented those things. So I just love that. Either. The things that we think make us so special and important sometimes are the terrible things that um, maybe maybe God is more upset about or maybe is disappointed. So it seems like we've got a, a pretty good firm understanding of maybe how this model of sin works. Could we spend just one quick final moment then asking if sin is about broken relationship? both with God and with other people, what does that suggest about, okay, who is Jesus or what does Jesus do if sin is about broken relationship? What does redemption look like in that case? Because we've talked before about how if, say, sin is broken rules or a debt, Jesus has to pay the debt or pay the penalty or accept our punishment from the judge. What what does this look like? I always viewed it as forgiveness is that antidote so to speak to that broken relationship right like the way that we repair relationships is by forgiveness and the person who is doing the wrong things start doing the right thing so it's not like just saying the words oh I forgive you or please forgive me like there needs to be more like you need to stop doing the bad thing as well right like if The thing that is breaking my relationship with Erica and therefore also God is I'm habitually lying to Erica. That relationship is going to just keep breaking if I just keep lying. So like I have to stop lying as I ask for forgiveness and like moving forward, like that's going to repair the relationship between Erica and I, and therefore also God. Um, And so when Jesus came into the world, 
Jesus is able to say to people, God forgives you. Your sin is forgiven. And like, that is such a powerful thing, right? Like, it's so powerful that people who were crippled by, uh, you know, their sin is suddenly able to stand up and walk. And I know we're going to talk about that part more later, but like Jesus is able to articulate that divine forgiveness in ways that people, the ordinary people have not been able to necessarily hear. And us as followers of Jesus now, we can also hear those words in our sacraments and in our liturgies and in our worship services that yes, God does forgive us. You know, and now that's so ingrained in our brains and our DNA as Christians that earlier when I was talking about repairing the relationship between Erica and I, and therefore also God, I had the natural assumption that it's going to be easier for me to repair my relationship with God than it is with Erica. And that's because, because of Jesus, it's now ingrained in me that, oh, of course, it's going to be easier for me to seek forgiveness from God because God is a forgiving God. And we know that because of Jesus. I wonder too if this is this this whole metaphor or or picture of sin is where so much of for good or for ill Christian pamphletry that pictures a, a chasm between humans and God and the cross is like that bridge. Like and I've seen that in so many different iterations. Some some of them fine theology and some of them kind of sloppy theology, but that same notion of okay, uh relationship is is depicted as visual distance and what reconciles and what brings us back into relationship. Jesus is the one who brings us back into relationship. And I like the way you said it, Sarah, that like it's it's forgiveness makes that possible, but that forgiveness leads to maybe something richer or fuller that's like reconciliation that's more than just an initial I say the words I'm sorry therefore I'm forgiven but I keep being a jerk that restoration of relationship means uh now yeah but whatever thing I've been doing that was rotten I am changed so that I don't do that anymore but when I keep messing up that there is this hope for renewal and starting over again so I really appreciate this conversation because like we said at the beginning of it some people kind of have a default uh, thinking about sin as like relationships are broken, but we maybe haven't thought it all through. And I think this has been a helpful way of teasing out how this works. And a reminder too, alongside the other ways we've talked about so far and what we will explore, that we kind of need all of these different pictures to help get a, a really both robust picture of what's wrong as human beings with us, but also what God intends to make right in us and what God has done to make things right in Jesus. So we hope you'll join us next time for a conversation here looking at at uh, Diagnosis Sin here on uh, Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.